So I'm here with a black nurse of 30 years. Uh, the offer from the lens of daughter, nurse, and caregiver, a journey of duty and honor, Dr. Cynthia J. Hickman. How are you doing today? I'm well, Ryan. I'm very well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me as well. Most definitely. Uh, so this is my first time interviewing you. Uh, let's, let's start off at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Born and raised in Toledo, Ohio with my other three sisters, there's four of us. Uh, went to all the public schools. And my first nursing degree actually was in Toledo, Ohio, Toledo Hospital School of Nursing. In 1983, I started, graduated in 85. It was a, it was a diploma program. So graduated from nursing and the rest is history, I guess you might say. Yeah. Definitely. Um, when you um, graduated from nursing, like what was the feel like? How has it changed from, from then to now? Well, from in the early days, in the 80s, we did everything by hand. We didn't have the technology that we have today. That's the biggest change, of course. Uh, we were able to do our assessments, our evaluations, and we had to document them with pen and paper and, uh, you know, read doctor's notes accordingly. So now everything's electronic. So, of course, it's changed quite a bit. But I still say it's very important that we remember the olden days because if our technology dies, if our systems break down, we still have to document the care we give to our patients. So in the olden days, writing everything, now it's technology, but I still think we ought to make sure we mix the two uh, in case we need to do that. Yeah, I guess that would be very important, especially as you've seen, like, you know, uh, the things that have been going on with the pandemic. I don't think, like, you know, people necessarily uh, expected that in the healthcare field or prepared for it. Oh, no, you never prepare for a disaster. You, you think you're prepared, but, you know, disaster is what it is. The word says it all. So we anticipate this and we get this. And when that happens, we have to change the narrative accordingly. So you're right. I was in the Katrina Ike air when I was uh, in the hospital working in acute care. And of course we lost power and those sorts of things. And I actually worked on the 14th tower in the medical center and our pharmacy was in the basement. So we still had to take care of our patients. So we would go all the way down 14 flights of stairs to fill our prescriptions, walk all the way back up 14 flights of stairs to take care of our patients. So, you know, you're seeing what's going on in Louisiana, for example, Ryan. It's heartbreaking because I remember those types of situations that I experienced during Ike and Katrina. And so when I saw the fact that they had to evacuate hospitals, my heart just sank. Because now, because we're in the pandemic, it's a different population of patients. And your safety concerns are so much huger than maybe just someone with, you know, medical conditions, surgeries, you have a whole nother element that we have to be mindful of. And God bless our healthcare workers, our frontline workers. So, I don't know how many times I wanted to put my stethoscope around my neck and go back out there. My family says, mom, you did it. You burned your keep. You retired. You, you know, let the youngers do it. But it really pulls at your heartstrings to see what we're seeing. Yeah, frontline workers are uh, so vitally important. And uh, you uh, you see a lot of, like, you know, uh, credit given to them, uh, especially now, like, you know, since the pandemic. 
um, like, you know, about how important they are because they are on the front line and, you know, putting their own uh, health at risk, you know, especially like, you know, with this pandemic, you know, um, you know, what are your thoughts about like, you know, like, you know, people like, you know, uh, worried about safety in working in the healthcare field? Well, right. Really, Ryan, when we take on the oath to be nurses and healthcare practitioners, we kind of leave ourselves at the back door. I, I've been sharing this with people uh, over time since the pandemic, because one of the things you struggle with, with the vaccine hesitancy of so many people, and when they get to the point where they need healthcare, we have to take care of them in spite of the decisions that they chose to make. And so you have this constant feel of, if you just would have got a vaccination, you know, if you just would have done this, that, and the other, that's how you think from the outside of the healthcare profession. But on the inside, it really is all about taking care of the needs of people. And one of the things that I say all the time to new nurses, experienced nurses, that the laying on a hand is what nurses do and is what healthcare is all about. So despite how they enter in, we still have to take care of them. So you don't think about yourself. You don't think about yourself. You do the job because you have compromised people who need you. So you don't even think uh, what may or may not happen to you. You just do the job. You thank God for the knowledge to do the job. And hopefully we can have, you know, positive outcomes from taking care of people. So that's powerful. And um, you mentioned vaccinations. And you see a lot of information, um, you know, a lot of people who have millions of followers, you know, uh, telling people not to get vaccinated. You know, what are your thoughts about that? Hmm, this is my, <laughs> this is my saying, Ryan. I say to people oftentimes, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started because when I think back of how we had to put our children in school, what did we have to do before they could start kindergarten? What did we have to do before they could start a higher education, middle school, high school? They had to get vaccinated. And I'm waiting for someone to call me and say, I researched the measles, mumps, and rubella before I gave it to my kid before they went to kindergarten. I'm waiting for someone <laughs> to call me and say, because I was concerned about the measles, mumps, and rubella, that I went to every encyclopedia, every research journal, every researcher who I thought I put the hands on it before I gave my child inoculation. Because I know they didn't do that. When we were raising our children, when our kid was two months, you went to the pediatrician, what did we do? It's time for their, their shot. We, we rolled up Johnny's uh, uh, leg, pants, <laughs> let him have a shot in one leg, shot in the other leg, we went on home. We didn't question, we didn't ask, we followed the sciences of our practitioners. There's no difference now. The urgency of the matter should have put everybody in the front of the line. It's not political, and now it tried to be, and people made it seem that way, but people are dying. That's not political, that's real, Brian. I lost a niece to COVID-19. Um, so that sorry. wasn't political, that was real. And to watch the type of death that goes on with COVID-19, you don't want that. You don't want to experience that. 
And during the time when you could not go visit your loved one to hold their hand, to help them go through whatever they're going through, you got to do it with a FaceTime and strangers around them. Who would ever imagine? So we had a way out. And we still have ways out. And I'm urging people to get a vaccination. Deal with the science. Don't deal with the noise. Don't deal with the nonsense. Because I have an empty chair at my table. And that's real. And that's not political. Right. Uh, Dr. Hemming, you just uh, released your second book. It's called The Black Book of Important Information for Caregivers. Uh, can you tell me uh, like, you know, what that's about and like, you know, how you were inspired to write the book? Sure. Well, it's, a, it's kind of the second tier of my first book, From the Lens of Daughter, Nurse, and Caregiver. And the 20-year journey of taking care of my mom, I noticed many things that uncovered during the care of her. And the first thing was, was being prepared. That's why I'm your proactive caregiver advocate because being proactive really helped in the journey. So the Black Book of Important Information talks about what you need to do on the financial business side of taking care of someone. I tell people it's not about the bathing, feeding, and bedtime shenanigans. That's a given. And if you would ask people, what is your definition of caregiving? And I, and I ask people that, what is your definition of caregiving? Well, we got to get them out of bed, and we got to get them out of bed, and we got to comb their hair, and we got to feed them. Okay. But what about the other stuff that a lot of times is hidden that no one talks about because it's so far in your brain? You know, my mother was 97 when she passed. And back in the day, they dealt with insurance policies. They dealt with getting their life in order, their house in order, their situations in order. So I wrote the Black Book of Important Information to say to people, vital statistics, vital information is so important. Life insurance. We know we have this, what do we call it, crowdfunding now? But that was unheard of. And I often chuckle because I say, while you're crowdfunding, what if you don't have any friends? Right. Who's going to put some money in your crowdfund? Mm -hmm. So we have to get our society to think back, go back to Insurance policies, you know, because that's what will help you keep your family from dealing with the stress of a financial burden in loss. Also, the Black Book talks about where do you have information about your parents, your cousins, your sisters and brothers. Ryan, if I would say to you, what's your mother's social security number? Could you tell me? No, I, I couldn't. Could you tell me where to go get it from? <laughs> you have it somewhere? <laughs> no. You know, if, if I told you, Brian, if your father retired from the military, where's his DDT-14? Do you know where that is? No. You know how to get it? <laughs> I, I, I requested. I, I, I have <laughs> There you go. Probably take a couple months or something, maybe. Absolutely. Longer. And in the midst of a crisis, stress of losing someone, watching somebody uh, die, watching somebody, knowing that the end is near, you don't have time for that. So the Black Book of Information is a... A book of sharing with you, what do you need? It talks about respite care when you need that. Uh, my mother, we talked about it. I never would have put my mother in a nursing home. Uh, that was nothing I was not going to do. I quit my job to take care of her uh, early because that was not something I was going to do. 
But there was a period of time where I needed respite and we did put her in a two week program, which took me a long time to do it. I cried every day while I was gone, while she was there, but she had a wonderful experience. It, it talks about the need for caregivers to take care of ourselves because we don't do that well. I did not do that well. Uh, and so it's, a, it's important. We talk about in the black book of how it is so important to get your legal documents in order. Right. And that's something that we need to do now while your care person and your loved one is able to talk to you about those things. Bank information. Did you know that you have to have a beneficiary on your bank account? Because if you have to operate for someone else that you're taking care of, if your name's not on that bank account, you can't do it. If they pass and there's nobody on that bank account, it's a whole nother enchilada. So I try to give people information that I learned that we need to have tangible information. I know we're technology savvy, but if your phone falls in the toilet, what you gonna do? <laughs> you know. So my mother had a, uh, I call it the, um, she had a green box, Ryan. I call it the black book green box. And she would call me from time to time. Mother had a bell when she wanted us to come, ding, 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 and I hear that bell, it's like, oh God, not the bell. <laughs> But when I went in there, she said, get the green box. And I said, oh, God, why am I getting the green box? Because every time she did that, like, oh, mama's getting ready to die. Uh-oh, mama's getting ready. You know, and I would just go through this terrible antic of why. But what she was doing was call the insurance company, make sure the insurance policies are paid up, make sure the dividends are on policy. And she would consistently do that every two, three months to make sure things were in place. So I share with people that because it's important to get our house in order. We're pilgrims passing through and none of us, Ryan, are going to get out of here alive. So we might as well prepare. That's very, uh, very practical advice. I think like, you know, um, I've never like, you know, uh, thought about some of those issues. And I know like, you know, that they're important and important to so many people who are uh, watching this or listening to this Um you know, let me ask you, there's a nationwide shortage of caregivers. Like, uh, what do you think can be done to uh, fix that problem? The biggest problem is uh, pay. Now, there's two, there's two areas of caregiving, Ryan. You have the paid caregiver. You have the unpaid caregiver. Your paid caregiver typically works for an agency, a hospital, or an organization. The unpaid caregiver, which is what I was, you work for free, you know, uh, taking care of mostly it's usually your family and your friends and your neighbors, that sort of thing. So if you're talking about it from the paid standpoint, the fee, the, fee, the cost, the salary are too low. $20,000 a year is kind of the estimate that a caregiver gets a year, $20,000. Maybe they'll have insurance, maybe they won't. Maybe they have transportation to get to their job. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're riding the bus. Maybe they're walking. But cost is a huge factor. And it's such a significant role. I struggle with why the pay is so low, Ryan. I had a, I read something not too long ago about someone said that they were a nurse and they weren't paid enough. And I thought to myself, how much is enough? I mean, really, how much is enough? You saving someone's life, how, 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 much, how do you really put a dollar figure on that? So it says to me, 
caregiving, nursing, healthcare in general, you can't put a figure on that. You know, I know there's some algorithm that says, you know, in the South you make this, North you make this, but at the end of the day, you can't pay me enough for my knowledge. You can't pay me enough for how I share my knowledge, how I help people, how I encourage people. There's no dollar figure to that. But for the caregivers who go through so much from the mental standpoint to the physical standpoint, their health compromises oftentimes because we're so stuck on taking care of the person that we care about, we don't think about ourselves. And what happens is down the way, we end up sick because we don't take care of ourselves. So I say self-care is not selfish and we need to start saying that because we can't take care of someone well if we're not taking care of ourselves. That's uh, very powerful advice. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Hickman, uh, so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure. It's so nice to meet you. You as and well. I hope, to, I hope to chat with you again soon. And remember that as your proactive caregiver advocate, the goal of all of this is to get it done before you have to get it done. We have to stop operating in a reactive society and start operating in a proactive society. And I can help you do that. So reach out anyone, everyone. Take care. Ryan, I appreciate our time together. Most definitely. All right. 